Uh, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Christmas, right? Two more Sundays, right? The kids' eyes are opening up like, whoa, yes, presents, right? Uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so today, I will not be talking about the Christmas story, but I do want to speak um, about things that kind of led to the Christmas story. I kind of want to talk about the promised uh, Messiah, about the, the promise that, was, that, that leads us to the actual birth of Christ. And so I, I want to explore a little bit of that rich history. Uh, a couple of years ago, I received a photo of, uh, of, uh, of my father with his brothers and my grandfather. And this is on my biological uh, family side. I grew up with a stepfather, uh, but my father uh, was a little boy. And if you've heard my story, I, I've, I've mentioned that uh, my dad was 20 years older than my mother. All right. Now, he passed away about 20 years ago in his 80s. My mom currently is in her 80s. When my father was born, uh, he was born the day that the Titanic ship sunk. So that was back in April 15th of 1912. And what was interesting about this picture was that my father uh, was, uh, you know, very young. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an old picture. And it looks like it's probably from the 1920s. So that kind of, you know, grabbed my attention. And, and, and uh, you know, prior to that, I, I've never really been interested in, in family ancestry and, and uh, just kind of looking into my, uh, my genealogy. I, I, that never really caught my attention. Uh, I didn't have the luxury of growing up with grandparents. I vaguely remember my grandmother um, when, when I was uh, maybe very, very little, and I just get glimpses here and there. But other than that, I just grew up with my stepfather and my mother. And, uh, and love them dearly. My mom still lives. She's in her 80s in Kingsville. And, um, uh, but family trees just didn't, until I saw that picture and I went to Ancestry.com, right? Because I got, a, I got a, an email or something like, hey, for free, you can check it out. So I went out there. And then, of course, it's just kind of to hook you. Then you have to pay money and all this. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not that desperate to look into, see if I'm related to Pancho Villa or something. Uh, <clears throat> so, but... The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were very meticulous and very particular. And they were very, very cautious when it came down to uh, citing and recording their genealogy. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to throw it up there. Y'all bear with me, all right? Y'all bear with me because I want to go through how Matthew records the Gospel. And he starts off with a lineage and just this whole descendancy of ancestry that leads all the way to the birth of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we'll throw it up there as well. And bear with me on the names. But here is what Matthew says in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he breaks it down. In verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of, Pe of Perez, there's the first Hispanic, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of, of, of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Now Jesse is the father of David, and he makes a point, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, 
by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon or the exile. And after, in verse 12, and after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shilatil, and Shilatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob. Here he comes. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And in verse 17, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the exile to Babylon or the deportation, 14 other generations. And then from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, I surrendered my life as a teenager in high school. And while I was in high school, I remember I grabbed the Bible and I just kind of started diving into it. And as I was scanning through the Old Testament and reading through the books and in the New Testament, I ran, I mean, there was some fascinating story that, stories that just captivated my attention. I mean, some really cool stories that just grabbed me. But then I would land on some of these genealogies. And then I wondered, oh my gosh, now I know it's all inspired of God, but what does this have to do with the bigger picture, with the bigger plan. It, they just weren't as interesting. You know what I mean? It just wasn't as gripping like some of the cool stories. But um, all I knew that in, indeed it, it's the inspired word of God. And I figured, well, maybe one day this will uh, begin to make sense. And down the road, the pieces slowly started to fall together. They started to make sense. There was a more clarity as I kept on reading, as we keep on studying. Eventually, it starts uh, fitting together, and it makes a lot of, uh, lots of sense. And one uh, key piece, one key element of the importance of the genealogy was how the promised Messiah would eventually make his appearance, would eventually come. I mean, we hear those statements constantly, right? We know, yeah, Jesus sent his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know that God sent, that he came, Emmanuel, Emmanuel with God, but um, Emmanuel, God with us. But we, uh, this is the literal, uh, just the breakdown of how eventually it came to pass. This is the, the descendant line. This is the family tree that eventually, through the bloodline of David, we have this Messiah that enters into planet Earth. And so the Jews knew that God had made a promise to Abraham. The Jews, it was common knowledge. They knew that their Messiah, that their Savior, that their Redeemer, their King had to come from the lineage of David. It was common knowledge. He would come to eventually set them free. He would come to eventually deliver them. He would come to put righteousness and justice and peace on earth. They knew that. 
over the centuries. They knew that the prophets had already foretold that. And it was just a matter of time. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, the patriarch, right? The founder of Israel, eventually. And he says, hey, you get out of it. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And he says this in verse 3 of, of Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And at this time, his name was Abram. Later on, his name was changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. But God had already told Abram, this is, this is a promise I'm making you. In you, through your lineage, through your seed, the earth is going to be blessed. Jeremiah 33, verse 14, the prophet says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise. What promise? The promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is during the divided kingdom time. And he says in verse 15, And in those days at the time, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, it's capitalized, it's proper, to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So you can see that the knowledge of this, this promised Messiah was pretty clear. This is the path. This is how you got to connect the dots if we are to expect a Savior, if we are to expect a Messiah, a Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one. During the ministry of Jesus, when he walked on the earth, after he was of age, uh, by the, the, the time he was like 29 or 30, he began his public ministry. And he was out in the streets, in the communities, among the crowd. And he did all kinds of wonders. He did all kinds of signs. And he did all kinds of, uh, of miracles. And those seeking for help, those seeking uh, uh, miracles would cry out before God. There's examples upon examples. Remember the Canaanite woman? She had a, a daughter who had a torment, uh, who was tormented by a spirit. And the, the Canaanite woman screamed out to, to Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Kind of tagged that on to the name of Jesus. There were a couple of blind men, and they said, as Jesus was passing by, have mercy on us, son of David. Remember blind uh, Bartimaeus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And even bystanders, when they witnessed Jesus heal a blind man uh, and, and a mute man, uh, a, a man that was blind and mute at the same time, they asked the question because they marveled. They were astonished. They were just blown away. And they asked this question as they, as they saw this miracle take place. Can this man be the son of David? See, it was common doing stuff that nobody else had done. I mean, yeah, the prophets of old. But remember, there's a space between Malachi and Matthew where God does not speak at all. There's a sense of silence from God. There's no more word from the Lord. There's no more prophets. There's no more miracles. There's a silence until that silence is broken in the New Testament. And Matthew records starts recording, hey, let me tell you who this guy is. And I got to start, before I tell you, 
the days how Jesus was born in a manger? Let me tell you how he came to be. This is the guy that has been foretold. This is the promised Messiah. So the promised Messiah, you know, when you hear the term son of David, it's kind of weird to, to tag that to an individual. Nobody goes by some ancient ancestor's name. Nobody, I mean, it's rare. I, I don't think so. Uh, you, normally, it's maybe, uh, maybe your father, right? Like, uh, blessed be thou, Simon uh, Bar-Jonas. You're the son of, of Jonas. But you, you don't just say, you know, somebody else unless there was something special Maybe if you're from, a, from another town, right, if, you know, uh, Simon of Cyrene or, or whatever, you know, so-and-so from Joppa or so-and-so from Rome, you know, Ralph from Uvalde, you, you might say, hey, Ralph of Uvalde, nobody really says that, that's kind of weird, right, uh, unless you're in another city, hey, do you know Ralph from Uvalde? Okay, that might make sense, but in general conversation, when they cry out, son of David, they're not even saying son of Joseph or, or Mary, they're going way back down highlights of these genealogy in this branch there are two that stand out abraham and david and you're connected we see that you're doing things that only the son of man the son of god can do and so the promised messiah has to come from abraham the promised messiah has to come from david from the tribe of judah from the town of bethlehem because that's where it was foretold, where David was born. Now, there were some people that had problems identifying or giving this title to Jesus. There were a few. There was, there was a little squabble that took place, and John records this little incident. In John chapter 7, you know, the people were saying, well, who is this guy? He's, doing, he's from Galilee. He's growing up among us here in Nazareth, and he's doing some freaky stuff here. And so they were like, well, I think he's the prophet. And then in verse 41 of John chapter 7, others said, no, this is the Christ, the anointed one. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? And they were confused. No, that's not prophetically where the Savior is not going to come from Galilee. This cannot be the guy. In verse 42, has not the scripture, the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring or the seed of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. They were trying to figure out. They were trying to figure, who is this guy? Can this be the son of David? He can't be the son of David. He's in Galilee. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Does not make sense. But Matthew, when he starts recording the history, makes it clear. Listen, even though he lived in northern Israel, he was born in southern Israel, in the Judea area. He was born about five miles away from Jerusalem, a little town called Bethlehem, in the city of David, in the town of David. That's where he's from. He grew up somewhere else. It's not uncommon. So he's setting the record straight. Remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the day that we normally call Palm Sunday? Lots of branches. People are screaming. The crowd is just yelling. They're acknowledging him as the Messiah. They're acknowledging him as the, the Christ. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is this king who comes to deliver us. Hosanna to the son of David. 
So there is much emphasis on his genealogy. And Matthew starts to record his gospel to confirm and to legitimize Jesus as the fulfillment of the foretold Messiah, as the foretold promise. Luke also records the genealogy. He, starts from the, he goes from the, from the lineage of Mary. Paul mentions the descendancy of Jesus a few times in his letters. He, he tells the Romans, he says that uh, this Jesus descended from David. He tells Timothy, this Jesus Christ, he is a descendant. He's a son of David. So Paul knew, the writers, these New Testament uh, uh, apostles and uh, leaders understood that there is no shadow of a doubt that this man is definitely bloodline to Abraham and David. And he fits the bill for the coming Messiah. So I want to just kind of scan through some of the names. Listen, I know I would have never thought in my wildest dream that one of these days I'm going to have a message on the genealogy. Because I remember, like I said, this was probably not as gripping in my younger years I walked in the Lord. But eventually, as you take a look at it, oh my gosh, it just illuminates. It just kind of gives, lends some, so much clarity. So uh, work with me here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Here, I'm going to just kind of pull out a few things from, from this whole little genealogy. It's just a couple of verses. The first verse, uh, Matthew starts in Matthew uh, 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So that's clear. Let me tell you where the, the family branch that I'm, I'm, I'm coming from. There's a lot of history in, in, our, in our nation, but I want to focus and zero in on that of Jesus. And then he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, he gives, them, gives him that title before he starts breaking down all the forefathers. He names two out of the bunch because these are the two that stand out. They're the, they're, they're the very well-known hero, heroes of, of their time. They know that David, my gosh, King David reigned for 40 years. He was a man after God's own heart. He's the man that, that destroyed, that killed Goliath. Eventually, the Lord put him on the throne, and he ruled, and he was a warrior, and he put, he put Jerusalem, he put Israel on the map. The, the nations around them, I mean, they knew that it was a force to reckon with. Because they had the power of God. He told Goliath as a little boy, you come to me with a shield and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he swung that stone and he knocked him out. And then with his own blade, cut his head out. Well, we don't say that in Sunday school with the kids, right? But read the details. Yeah, that's the rated R part right there. I mean, he, I mean, this is a national hero. Over the ages, they knew King David. They knew Abraham. The founding patriarch. They knew who he was. But I like to interject right here from very, uh, the very first verse that the beginnings of Jesus did not start with Abraham. I mean, he didn't just do the genealogy so that you can know. Let me tell you where Jesus comes from. Well, he comes from the seed line all the way to Abraham, and that's it. So it starts there. No, not really. That is not exactly what Matthew is trying to to, to say here. As a matter of fact, John, when he writes his gospel story, he starts way before the genealogy. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, that Word became flesh, walked among us. We saw His glory. 
All right? So Matthew is just giving, le- le- just legitimizing and confirming who this Jesus uh, uh, is and, uh, and was, a, 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 a person that indeed was uh, the confirmed uh, Son of God, the, the Messiah that was promised from the, the, the prophets of old. And so, so right here uh, in, 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 in uh, let me see, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, when, when, uh, when Matthew says, yeah, he comes from the lineage of Abraham, you need to understand that uh, it, it wasn't the, the beginnings of Jesus, but instead uh, it was just the story that fit right there because there's something before that, all right? And before that, let me tell you why, because Jesus himself in his ministry clarifies that. There was a little squabble taking place in John chapter 8. And, and he, uh, they, were, uh, they were accusing him of, 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 the Jews were just accusing him of, of things. And then eventually Jesus made this statement. Listen, he said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He made that statement to the Jews, all right? They were, you know, he was casting out devils and demons and so forth. And they thought, oh, no, no, this guy, is, he's from the devil himself. He's casting out devils, you know, in the name, in, in the name of Beelzebub or whatever. But eventually he says, look. It's not so. A kingdom cannot be divided. And let me just say that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And boy, the Jews jumped. They pounced on that statement. They said, wait a minute. Are you trying to say, I mean, look at Abraham, our father. Look at the prophets. They're all dead, and they're way much bigger than you. Who do you think you are? You're trying to say that you're better and bigger than Abraham, and he's dead? And you're you're saying here that will not die? It doesn't make sense. Who do you say you are? And here's how the, the story unfolds. I'll put it up there real quick. John chapter 8, verse 56. And here's what he responds. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews looked at him and they said, You're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The verse follows and says they picked up stones to, kill him, to, to throw at him because he was claiming to be God. He didn't start with Abraham way before Abraham. He's the great I am. He's the one who was, is, and is to come. Eternity past, present, and future. He made that very clear. In this whole list of genealogies, there's a there's a few ladies that come out. I want to point out a, uh, maybe a, a four of them that come out. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Right there, there are two ladies that are men. Most of, you know, 99% of the genealogy is all men, but there are a few times where they mention the woman. And it's, I, I don't think it was by mistake. I think it's making a point. And there's probably tons of points, but the one that kind of just jumps out, Rahab. Well, who in the world is Rahab? Well, we all know that Rahab was part of, uh, was, uh, we read about uh, her, her um, involvement with Joshua's, during Joshua's conquest. Remember the spies that came to uh, spy on the land. They went to Jericho. They saw there was very walled and so forth. Well, she hid the spies and then eventually ended up letting them go and, and releasing them uh, uh, to protect them uh, down the wall. And she said, please, when you come back and, and, and in the name of the Lord to, to obliterate this place, 
Think about me and think about my family. And they were preserved. Rahab, the prostitute, eventually went along with, went with uh, the Israelites. She followed the God of Israel, eventually married an Israelite. And then Rahab becomes the mother of Boaz. Well, who's Boaz? Well, another story unfolds in the book of Ruth, right? Ruth was a Moabite, not from the lineage of Israel at all. She was from a godless country. They had their own gods and so forth. And, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, was going back to Israel. She's going back home. She said, I've lost my husband. You've lost, you know, my sons. They're dead. And you, you guys are widowed. Y'all remarry here. I'm going back home. And Ruth said, uh, I'm going with you. I'm going to your country. And she says, no, what, what do you do? What, I have no more children. You can't come with me. You stay here. You're a Moabite. She says, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to take care of you. And I'll tell you what, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And she too followed the God of Israel. And she makes it in the lineage. Isn't that cool? <laughs> this, I mean, this is just amazing. So Ruth eventually... Um, becomes uh, the mother of Obed. And Obed, of course, is the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of David. Verse 6, the very next verse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah. Now there, a woman is mentioned, but no name. But we all know who the wife of Uriah was. David had, I mean, there was a novel that just unfolded there. There's a bunch, there's a, you know, it, it, it was a scandal. The king saw Bathsheba, that was her name, and I don't know, it was because she was taking a bath, and David just, you know, bam, just disconnected from God and his holiness, and all of a sudden, he conspired when, she, when he found out that she was pregnant, he conspired to send Uriah to the front lines. And then he, and he told his commander, when, when, the, when, the, when the battle gets hot and, and heavy out there, you pull the soldiers back, but don't tell Uriah. Because he wanted him dead. Boy, it just... Eventually that child ended up dying. And by the grace of God, you know, David eventually took her as a wife, and they had Solomon the wisest king ever. King Solomon, who was part of the lineage, the seed of the Messiah, of the promised one. So we can clearly see that this family tree, this ancestry, ancestry tree, uh, is, not, is not a perfect pedigree, right? You know, it's not his royal bloodline. Yeah, there's royalty, absolutely, but you can see it's muddied. You can see the, the, it's cluttered. It's saturated with scandal and sin. And yet God still allowed by His grace that to unfold. And I think it's to let us know that we're just a mess of people, that we're broken people, and God can fix any situation, any circumstance to make us right. And so this the last one, in, in, last, uh, in verse 16, the Bible says that Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. So Mary is mentioned, and she's, not just, she's a young woman. And this Jewish uh, girl, young girl, 
submitted to the will of God to be the vessel that would carry and deliver the promised Savior. So why the promise? Well, the promise because of the problem. It was the sin problem. We read about it in the, in the, in, in the book of Genesis. The sin of disobedience broke our relationship with God. Immediately, when that relationship with God is broken, God sought out a way to reconcile us. And because of that problem, we see the first prophecy. When sin entered into the human race, God cursed the serpent. And we've read it in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In essence, God is saying, hey, look, from Genesis chapter 3, early on, a hero, a champion will arise and is going to make things right. This champion will come from the seed, from the lineage of this woman, and there will be hostility. There's going to be war between the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan, but eventually the seed of the woman is going to win. It's rather cryptic. It's, it's, there's not much meat on the bone. It's just general, but that right there initiates and kicks off this promise of the promised Messiah. And later on over the centuries, the prophets just fill in more detail and it gets more clear and clear and clear. So because of that, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, there is now a promise of hope in a world filled with hurt, tragedy, pain, loneliness. There is hope for the hopeless. He turns our mourning into gladness. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the blessed one. He's the one that gives us the, the blessed hope. He's the one that we can put our trust in. And there is hope. There is a glimmer of hope in Christ. And not only is there now a promise of hope, but also a promise of peace. The angels uh, screamed out, proclaimed to the, to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. In other words, the favor of God is upon the human race. The favor of God is upon us now. The angel's proc uh, proclamation was that Jesus being born here on planet earth will bring about peace. And so his presence offers that peace on earth. He is our prince of peace. He is our rest. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, the needs not only um, is there now a promise of hope and a promise of peace, but there needs to be a preparation to receive the promised Messiah. And this season, let's not get distracted. Let's not get distracted with the culture's idea of Christmas. You know, the busyness of this holiday season, it can definitely create some noise in the backdrop. Instead, let's go ahead and focus and contemplate on this whole purpose of what Christmas really is. It's about Jesus, the promised Messiah. And perhaps today, this morning, you know, you've heard the Christmas story. You've heard that God sent His Son, Jesus. And maybe it's time to open up your life, open up your heart, and allow Him to come and dwell in you so that you may be adopted into His family tree and be part of the family of God. C.S. Lewis puts it, put it this way. He said, The Son of God became a Son of Man in order that the sons of men 
might become the sons of God. And to my brothers and sisters, to the family of God, to those that have already put your faith in Jesus, the promised Messiah, the promised one, God continues to reveal himself through his word. He reveals himself, and it is our mission to continue to make him known among the nations, to make him known in our families, to make him known in our community, to make him known in our sphere of influence, in our circle of friends, and to make him known to a lost and dying world. And this Christmas season is the perfect time to point people to our Savior. The very last words that Jesus stated is found in Revelation 22. He said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Here it is. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Now, John eventually quotes Jesus when he says, I come, behold, I come quickly. But in the very next verse, he says, hey, the spirit and the bride says, come. If you're thirsty, come. Come and drink freely. This is a perfect opportunity. It's a perfect season for us to shine and to remove the distraction and see how we might be able to make him known, the promised Messiah. Let's pray.